hear it. I hear it. It's my favorite music. It means it's time, <laughs> Jay, for us to get together <laughs> and do our thing, talking about some Beatles uh, music, you know, like we do. Welcome to today's uh, episode of Looking Through the Glass Onion. Jay, let's start this way. Yes, sir. Let's... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold up this hand. These are the ones I have to answer. And on this hand, this is the one you have to answer. We're going to create a perfect Beatles song. Okay. Okay, what, what are the elements that create a perfect Beatles song? I'll start. There's got to be some unique recording thing that happens. Okay, that's one for me. What do you nice. got? Nice. Um, <laughs> the harmonies. Got to have good harmonies, right? Yep. Uh, let's see. What else? Uh, you you got to have a smoking riff. Yeah. Beatles are kind of known for that. Okay, yeah. we, got, we got that. Okay. What do you got? Um... A this is off the top of our beat. head. But funky drum beat. Ringo known for that stuff. Uh, let's see. How about a great middle eight? You got to have a good Beatle middle eight. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, it's got to it's gotta really take the song somewhere. Okay. Yeah. What do you got? Uh, best intro and outro band ever. 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 Right? Yeah. Ever. Let's see. What else do we got? Um, great harmony. Yeah, obviously every every Beatles song's got a great harmony line in there somewhere. What do you got? We, we're naming the same ones I wrote uh, like seven. Gosh, we might uh, be s- some mm. sort of technological advancement in the studio. Mm, love that, Jay. Okay, you're gonna like this one. It sounds like something you've always known. The mm. first time you hear it, that's great. I think a great Beatles song does that. Like it's like, oh, it's reminiscent of something. You can't quite put your finger on it, but then there it is. What do you got? Do you got anything else? Because this is a pretty decent list. <laughs> it is pretty good. This is yeah. pretty good. I'll I think stop we there. created the perfect. Yeah, I think we created the perfect Beatles song. Okay, the one we're talking about today, Jay. It has every single thing that we talked about. Yeah, every single thing. Uh, we're talking about the song today. I feel fine. I feel like I picked a good one. I always feel like I picked something that's like there's nothing you have to really dig deep to find something interesting. So I thought, what song would Jay pick? And I picked I Feel Fine. This has all kinds of stuff in it. Give me your opening thoughts about this song. First time you heard it, what record were you listening to? Oh, gosh, I don't remember the first time I heard it. it the thing I think about with this song is, is mm-hmm. I'm always surprised that we don't play it more. Like, it doesn't get requested a lot. It's shocking to me, in fact. Yeah. And now we're, we're kind of at a point where whenever I see it come across, I'll put it in there because it, it is. It's not It's not a She Loves You or I Want to Hold Your Hand or even a Yellow Submarine. However, this is one of the Beatles' most popular songs they ever did. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it was crazy. a huge seller back in the end of 64. And I. that's the other thing, Jay, for me. You know, because I'm born in 75. I've, I came to the Beatles secondhand. My dad was a Beatles fan, handed it on to my brothers and I. And I've always loved this song. It's on their greatest hits album that I had when I was a kid. It, you hear that and you know. But yeah, it's not put in with those other songs. And that shocks me because I love it. You don't hear bands play it live a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's not one that Paul ever played live. I mean, it's a John song, but you know, he's done a John song or two. It would be totally, a great yeah. live. Okay. So I feel fine. Uh, how it was brought in. This is always, I love this. This actually started in the uh, Beatles for sale sessions. And when we talk about the songs they recorded, the day they record the song, it blew my mind. Oh, it's unbelievable. So they, yeah. And it really kind of started, I've got my guitar over here, it's not in tune because it's like two degrees here in Omaha, but <laughs> when you, we talked about uh, eight days a week, which is, I need your love, babe, I guess you 
which we have a D to an E to a G back to a D. Yeah. Right on that song. And as they're recording it, John, every time they stopped, evidently was like, just kind of messing around, and they're like, "John, stop it!" He's like, uh, uh, and then it, the riff keeps kind of coming along. He's like, the John way of playing it, which isn't. George seems to be the only one that plays it right throughout the song, but jo- John comes up with that. I'll try to play it slowly. I can't even play it right here, Jay. Yeah, it's, it's a it. tricky riff. But it's a tricky. So John comes up with it, and then it, he drops it down to C. And so that's, it's kind of a country song. You could sing it as a country song. Baby's, baby's good to me, you know. Totally. She's happy as can be, you know. She said so. <laughs> right? Country riffs in there. I'm in love with her and I feel fine. So that's how it's brought in as this very simple little song that John has the riff that he wrote during the eight days a week session. He's kind of got the melody of the song. They call it a John song, but they end up finishing it together. I'm assuming that Paul, of course, helps on the beautiful uh, middle eight of that song. Yeah. Just kind of seems. Yeah, the bridge is is vintage Beatles. So good. Perfect Beatles song. I'm still sitting here feeling bad about how I messed up that riff, so I I don't have to play it on stage. So (laughs) give me a second. I didn't even practice beforehand. So this song, again, brought in, I wrote down on my notes here, riff, riff, riff. I mean, this song is just based around that riff. It's in D, it's in C, it's in G. The guitar solo kind of happens around the riff. Ringo's drum beat that we'll talk about in the deep dive revolves around the riff. This song is all about that. Yeah, It's all there, right? That's how it was brought in. So again, Beatles for Sale Sessions, the recording of this song. All right. I don't want to. I don't want to get into what guitar was played yet because that we'll do that on the deep dive. But this song opens with the first time we hear it on a record. Feedback. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. kind of what makes this song interesting. There's a lot of as I'm researching this, I'm just noting this, noticing this discrepancy about which guitar John used. Uh, where Paul achieves the feedback. John takes credit for it, but as Revolution the Head points out, it was really kind of Paul who uh, noticed that it was there. And he, so explain to me what they did, Jay. Let, before we get to the gear part, just tell me essentially how we hear that. I'm going to play it on my phone here. Just in, if you haven't heard it in a while, just listen to this sound the Beatles get on the opening riff. So what we're hearing there is feedback. Now, feedback in for a musician, if if you know, if, if we're kind of dealing with people who don't know what that is, that's a mistake, right? You yeah. hear that on stage. You see sound guys freaking out. You're freaking out. What what's going on? <laughs> Especially then, because nobody would have ever done that. In fact, if, well, we'll get to it in the deep dive. I mean, the Beatles were breaking the rules of EMI by having this blatant mistake on their record. Totally. So, I back away. Talk to me about how they achieved this, Jay. Um, yeah, so uh, supposedly it happened when John was working on the riff in eight days a week. So so they kind of discovered it while they were recording that song. There are a few different, you know, versions of how it actually happened. Um, mm-hmm. But somebody's saying, you know, like John leaned his guitar against the amp. Paul hit an A for for whatever reason, and it, it set... John's guitar, you know, vibrating, and here we have that sound, and they all just right. freak out, you know, and like 
Jeff Emmerich talks about how he thought something was broken or there was like a bad cable, you know, and and yeah. Norman Smith tells him, just look down like John's kneeling in front of his amp, you know, and, and working on it. And yeah, so it's just, you know, uh, we'll wait on which guitar it is, but I... Yeah. But based on that sound, it's got to be a certain one of John's guitars because Correct. we've all had that sound if, you, if you've ever played that sort of guitar. What he's doing. Yeah. Correct. We're, yeah. we're going we're gonna to make a definitive ruling on this one, I feel, Jay. Yeah. I feel like the discrepancies are, I don't know why there are discrepancies. It is a very distinct sound that I could recreate on my amps back here with the correct guitar. The one that I've miffed that, <laughs> that riff on, in fact, <laughs> is the one that made it happen. So, it, and the very first recording of this song, it is on there. So, you're right. I mean, that's that's what's great. They took it from that eight days a week session, yeah. and they were like, this is on this record no matter what. So, they do nine takes of the song. So, they get together on the 18th of October uh, to record. They do a nine-hour session. Listen yeah. to the songs they did in the I session, know, this Jay. This it's essentially Beatles for sale. They essentially recorded the whole album in this day, <laughs> right? So... They completed Kansas City, Hey, 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 one of Paul's best vocals, if you haven't heard that song. Mr. Moonlight, one of John's best vocals. Everybody's Trying to Be My Baby, Great George. Rock and Roll Music, another killer John vocal. Uh, dubs of Eight Days a Week. They did eight tracks of Rhythm, which was kind of unique for the Beatles at this point. Is that correct, Jay? Mm -hmm. They were yeah. kind of doing everything live at this point. So they recorded the Rhythm because it was so difficult to pull off. Yeah, so it's interesting. This song started in A. Like the oh, very first take is a step up and John's singing it and he's struggling. I would assume so. <laughs> yeah. And so um, they eventually, I don't know what take, by take five, they've moved it down a step. But And he's also no longer singing and playing because that, I mean, that riff will eat. It's eating me alive. You just a heard of it. Times. Yeah, you, you just heard it. Eat me alive on here, right? Yeah. So playing that it's, and singing it, <laughs> two different rhythms. Yeah, yeah. it's not. That's real it's not tricky. easy. Yeah. So yeah. in so fact, when you see them do it live, when you see them do it live in some of these recordings, you see that John doesn't always play the riff while he's singing. He just right. plays the chords while yeah. he's singing, and then we'll double George. It's it's hard. Yeah. But it opens this recording up. Yeah. Like there's no rhythm guitar track on here. And it's, it's, I don't know. It just doesn't, I always thought this song was later. You know what I mean? I thought totally. this was like a 1966 song. I, yeah. Yeah. Because of that, it, yeah. it doesn't sound like anything else they were doing at that time, which is, that, that's a really cool thing to pull off. In the midst of recording all those songs that sound like they're on Beatles for sale, I, Always, until I researched, I had no idea this song came out in 64. This I, song came out the totally. same year as A Hard Day's Night, Can't Buy Me Love, all their, all their like mop toppy stuff. And this is like day tripper times two. You yeah, know what I mean? I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So I, I have to like, I think of this song and then Day Tripper and then Paperback Writer, like the three singles of 64, 65, 66. And like, right. it seems like it's it's weird to think about it being in 64. Because, yeah, you think about yeah. A Hard Day's Night, very mop-toppy, right. like you just said. And and so, yeah, it's, it is... It, it feels like such a progression, you know, in 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 a, a weird leap. way. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, like the other songs they were considering for singles at the time were Eight Days a Week. They were also yeah. considering I'm a Loser and No Reply. And then there's this song. It's like, where did this one come from? It's so good. I really dig it. And I just, re- like, they released I'll Cry Instead and Matchbox as singles in America before this. And, like, they didn't do that well. Like, they, the Beatles hadn't, like, topped the charts in America for, like, a you know, like a few weeks, which in 64 yeah, was, was weird. But yeah, this like, is the I height, had no idea the that they, they even re- released those. So anyway, yeah. It's crazy. Oh, oh, Jay, it's it's uh, time for us to talk about our sponsor really oh, quick yeah, because yeah, yeah. we have a, spe- a special guest that's coming down the stairs. Mal Evans is making his appearance because <laughs> it's now time <laughs> to get some Beatle gear. Uh, our show, Looking Through the Glass Onion, that you're listening to, is sponsored by a Hill of Beans Coffee Roasters right here in Omaha, Nebraska. They have three custom pl- flavors for us, Strawberry Fields, Tangerine Trees and Marmalade Skies, and Magical Mystery Tour. All three coffees are available for purchase on my website, billymcguigan.com, B-I-L-L-Y-M-C-G-U-I-G-A-N.com. They told me they sold out of some of this stuff in December. That's awesome. So thank you. Thank you that to our awesome. listeners out there. Jay, Mal has come in and it's time to make a deal. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We're going to, I know there's discrepancy, but we know what guitar is there. But we're going to say that the Rick is in the room. I already own it. I took it in the last session. But, <laughs> but, but John's 64 Rickenbacker is sitting right here. It's not being used. Oh, John's playing that Gibson J160, Jay. Yeah. Look at it. Sitting there, leaning up against his Vox amp, also available for purchase, Mal tells me. Uh, George is playing the 1963 Gretsch Tennessean, Mal is pointing out right now. Yeah. Ooh, that's a nice one. What color is that? Ooh, that burnt little red. Oh, so we're talking about the gear they essentially played on the Ed Sullivan show? Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> Paul's playing his Hofner 501 bass. This is the 1963, not his 1961 that you see in the Revolution. This is like his second Hofner bass. I think it's the one he plays now. Yeah, well. A version of it. A version of it. Right, yeah. Yeah, right. that thing's uh, r- locked away. That, yeah. <laughs> I think it's about to be in my closet, to be honest with you. Uh, Ringo is playing that that 64 Ludwig Super Deluxe Black Oyster Pearl kit. And man, it's just sitting there looking pretty. You know all the other gear. That little four-track thing is up up the stairs there in Abbey Road, too. Yeah. yeah. So, Jay, uh, Mal is wondering. You have your choice. Oh, I should also mention that the Beatles are in their 1964 stage outfits. Okay, so they're <laughs> so that means that 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 John, you see the Rick I'm pointing to, John's casino Rick here. It has that Vox, uh, that that strap oh, that yeah, you like, the pu- that studded the, one that you have. Yeah, yeah. That's so what are you one. taking, bud? Um, you know, I think I've taken it before, but I'll take it again. Even though that Vox AC100, which I think is what they're they use that day. Is that what it's leaning up against? Yeah, yeah, looks like yeah. It. that would be super cool. But but the J one sixty. So okay, so here's here's mm, a, here's a piece of nerd me. alert for you. So yep. so back then, like I have a J one sixty, but it in and and it's made of all wood. It is not a laminate, which is yep. better for it acoustically. But the J one sixties back then were laminates. So they were not great sounding acoustic guitars, but they were really good sounding electric guitars. And that's uh. part of what's so cool and what how they get such a I mean that tone of 
this riff played on that. I mean, it is so cool. And against that Gretsch Tennessean too, like the yeah. two of them in concert with each other is pretty sweet. I'm going to take John Strap. <laughs> I know that's weird, but I'm no, I, mean, I already a, have the Rick. I need the strap. Thanks, Mal. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, the coffee's upstairs. Mal Evans, everybody. He made an appearance. He's only been dead for like 37, 40 plus years. That's good. Thank you, Mal. <laughs> so this song uh, is a huge hit, as we mentioned. We'll talk, when we're talking about chart success, uh, it was released on a November 23rd, 1964, again, which shocks me, in the United States. In the UK, it was released on the 27th of November. See how I did that backwards? I did that very British. <laughs> I did November 23rd, 1964, American. And then, oh, on the 27th of November for the British people. <laughs> nice. uh, it's backed with She's a Woman, which is Oof. a great, yeah. great Beatles song. In fact, it's one of the songs that we have miffed two or three times trying to play live. Uh, in the UK, it was a number one hit, of course, selling uh, 800,000 copies in the first five days. It was a number one hit for six weeks on the charts there. In the U.S., it sold a million copies in the first week. It was number one for three weeks and a top 40 hit for 11 weeks. That is a staggering number. Yeah. None of these numbers are reached by any artist today. Not even close. No. A million copies. Not digital downloads, people. Not like things you can just walk to your computer and press. We're talking going to the store and purchasing a million copies of this 45 in the first week it was released. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, that is insane numbers. Rolling Stone, it's their number 42 on their list of 100 greatest Beatles songs. Oh, okay. Number 43 is Drive My Car. I find it interesting the songs that it's sandwiched in between. Uh, Drive My Car and Get Back, which I think after the documentary, Get Back's gotta move up. <laughs> 41 is way too low for that song. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's, it, it had a little quote here that I will read in Rolling Stone. It says, I feel fine showcases the Beatles' evolving musicianship with star... Uh, chipping in a Calypso-flavored dialogue between Cymbal and Tom Tom. Somebody, somebody was a drummer writing this. Uh, Ringo developed from a straight rock drummer into quite a musical thinker, George Martin said. He's always thinking and trying out new ideas. I love that. So that leads me to my question, Jay. Remember, this is 1964 he's drumming this. Yeah. He doesn't do Ticket to Ride. He doesn't do uh, I Am the Walrus, Strawberry Fields, any of those really super innovative drum beats kind of in the next couple of years. But, I mean, is this his best one? Uh, it's so cool. It's so cool. Uh, I mean, what other Beatles song does his drum beat add so much to? Yeah. And we'll get to where it's inspired. But, I mean, it just adds. He's known for like playing to the song, right? I mean, that right. kind of becomes Ring Ringo's signature in the 70s and why people love Ringo. It's like the, the artist brings in the song and he knows how to play. And what a perfect example in this song. Yeah. It's insanely good what he's doing. It, it is so good. cool. Yeah, it's so cool. And we have we have struggled to to capture that feel that he yeah. creates. It's a, it's a tough one. Yeah. As, as we'll talk about why. So we're now going into our deep dive, Jay. And I, I just want to, I want to, let's, let's just get it right out of the way. There's a lot of, our book, our like go-to, go-to book uh, says that it is a Rickenbacker put to the bridge pickup, I believe, or the, the neck pick, something it leaned up against the amp 
And I don't think that's correct. No. And I, I don't think that's even in the ballpark of what happens. You have to struggle to get that sound out of a Rickenbacker. I have one, and if I leaned it up against the amp and turned it up, it, w- it wouldn't be an easy thing to pull off. Right, right. You know what I mean? It would be way difficult because those pickups are super hot. They're like these toaster pickups, you know what I mean? And the second you lay it on there, it's going to be like, which the Beatles were struggling with. They talk about them struggling with feedback. You see it in Get Back. They're talking about, they always, John always turned his shit way up. Oh, no. they, they, they played loud. Yeah. <laughs> with a Gibson, I have the knockoff Epiphone John Lennon Gibson J160 thing. The, and that's what's cool about this. It is laminated like John's. Yeah. But if I took this guitar, Jay, and leaned it up against my amp and somebody played an A. Yeah. That, that's me just hitting the A. Tell me that's not the sound. Right? No, but that's a Rickenbacker. It's like, no. To me, the giveaway is that, like, just a few mm. seconds in, that string that vibrates buzz. so hard that it's buzzing against the fret. And, and Flatwound Rick doesn't do that. You wouldn't get I don't that care. on, a, on It doesn't electric. do that. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't do that. So you can trust us out there, okay? I'm, yeah. Jay Hansen and Billy McGuigan, we are putting our <laughs> Beatle expertise on the line here. If John Lennon is not playing a Gibson J160 on this song that causes that feedback, you can take my Rick back from me. Okay, Mal, you can just take that back to the 70s with you. Now, I'll I did read up. that he he played the 325 in spots on the recording. Interesting. Which but I that thought intro. But no, that's definitely the J one. There's no correct. Hundred percent. Yeah. With a hundred percent. I mean, you, you you just heard it. I just hit the A string. We didn't even do any of the tricks, and it sounds nearly just like it, like that. Speaking of sounding nearly just like it, I'm gonna play some songs in the back here. Cool. So this is a cat named Bobby Parker. Have you ever heard of Bobby Parker? Uh, not until this morning. Okay. This is the song that John was obsessed with that yeah. that influenced uh influenced for sure I feel fine. Uh it's not the only song that it influ- influenced but uh th- as George says all riffs in that tempo sound the same. <laughs> yeah, all I blues read that. riffs in that tempo sound the same and it, because it isn't this is what makes the Beatles the Beatles to me. Like the Stones would completely rip off a riff and call it their own. You know what I mean? They would take a Howling Wolf riff or a blues riff. Oh, that's a Stones. You know, Mick turns it around one note and it becomes a Stones song. This is not I Feel Fine. It just isn't. Right. It just isn't. I mean, listen. Sounds like the Yardbirds to me, right? Yardbirds totally stole that sound. So anyway, so Bobby Parker, uh, that he releases that song in 1962, I believe. John loves this song, clearly influences this song. Uh, Bobby Parker would go on. I think he's still alive. He, I'm not sure about how COVID treated him, but uh, what I do know is that he has always said, when I met the Beatles, they shook my hand, and when I looked at my hand, it was empty. <laughs> I love that's what he said. <laughs> it's like, they love the song, but they didn't love it enough to fill my hand up, which I appreciate. Uh, Bobby Parker would then go on to say that 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 song was influenced by a Dizzy Gillespie song. So let's listen to the Dizzy Gillespie song. Everything comes from somewhere, right? Totally. 
Yeah, I don't hear that one, but that's where he says he got got it from. So Bobby Parker takes that. Now, I'm also going to, in my deep dive, we're going to talk about Moby Dick, Led Zeppelin. Let's see, I, I, you don't need to listen to that one. That's clearly, oh, we're going to get to that one. That's clearly Bobby Parker's What's Your Step, Moby Dick. Just listen to it. Same thing. Uh, Rat Bat Blues by Deep Purple. Same thing. I'm not talking about the Yardbergs. They've all ripped this song off. And I think their versions rip off this song way more than I Feel Fine does. Now, what song does I Feel Fine rip off wholeheartedly? Well, I mean, one of the greatest songs of all time. And this is what <laughs> it's playing. It doesn't sound like it. Ringo was known in Liverpool, Jay. All right, it's not playing. I had it perfectly set up there. <laughs> there it is. Ringo was known in Liverpool for being the only guy that could play this beat. Yeah. Here it comes. Let me get you back to Ray real quick. Hang on, here it's at 17. Listen to this beat. This is I Feel Fine. She's, right, that's what Ringo is. He's the only guy, only dude in Liverpool that could play that beat. They turn to him and say, "Play the what I'd say beat, Ringo." So that's what he's doing so until cool. the bridge. Until the bridge when he's when he Ringo's it. When he gets the, <laughs> you see what I'm doing when he, um, he's windshield he gets wiper. that windshield wiper out. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Anyway. Uh, Do you get anything on your deep dive, Jay? That was the biggest. That was as deep as I could get. The Bobby Parker info. Yeah, which is super cool. And I yeah, what did I say? I, I hadn't even thought about that until I read it this morning. I'm like, oh my God, yeah, that's totally. It's, yeah, that's, that's a blatant totally ripoff. Yeah. Uh, that is uh, Milt Turner played that on Ray Charles' record. Let's yeah, give credit where credit yeah. is due. Milt Turner, one of the greatest drummers of all time. And man, it works on this song. So totally. I, Bobby, Bobby Parker, your hand may have come away empty, but he should have put a little in Milt Turner's for the what I'd say riff. <laughs> um, First time we hear Paul do octaves on the bass, which soon become a very big thing in in his bass playing. It's interesting, um, Jay. Like this song, every song. It seems like every song we've done. I always am Paul, 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 Paul. Paul did this, and Paul did that, and Paul made. And this is one that. It, he really like I don't know. He, he's kind of in the background a totally. little bit, and and for this song, it's perfect. He just because he could he could be doom, 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 doom. he could be Ray Charles and all over this, but instead, like you said, he just kind of lays back and yeah. lets it breathe. And man, damn, does it work? Totally anyway, love yeah. that the octaves. Yeah, uh, um, this song appears. This song appears on. I'll go back to you. Past Masters. Uh, the Beatles' Ones album, Anthology 2, live at the BBC, on air, live at the BBC, Volume 2. It's in all that. Oh, my God. I had so many versions of it to listen to this morning. It was great, you know? Like, yeah, the live versions of yeah, it. It's the so first, good. Lots of the early take. Like I said, it was interesting to hear them do it in A, because, yeah, that was, it was weird. I've got to hear that. Yeah. Um, the... Feedback is called the Larson effect. And I meant to Google that to find out what, but yeah. The Larson effect. Yeah. Uh, I had a book that was talking about, I was like, what? (laughs) 
So yeah, uh, the Larson effect. John um, claims John claims this is the very first use of the Larson effect on any any pop record ever. He's like, it might have been on a blues record back in the twenties, which it may have been, but. Uh, this is the first time it's ever recorded in popular music, modern yeah. popular music. Yeah, he was the very Larson proud of that. effect. Um, he was very proud. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Double tracked guitar solo, which was kind of a thing at this point in their recording. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. If you listen to it closely, there's he does it really well, but you you sense the chorusing effect yeah. of having two pieces played. Um, another song that John, uh, I've written this song, but it's lousy. That was a quote that he said to Ringo when they were getting ready to record it. And the next thing you know, it's a single. <laughs> you know, they were coming out. The song shit. <laughs> um, there's some barking at the end, I believe. That's they, interesting, yeah, because I've heard that that you you know there's things you can hear in the background, and I I couldn't uh, barking. Alone. Yeah, it sounds like Paul's <laughs> barking or wooing or something like that. So yeah, uh, I there's think a he video would bring back later <laughs> on Hey Bulldog. That's a, from season two of Looking Through the Glass. On you can give that one a check. <laughs> there's a video of this song Jay that you can see on on YouTube Vivo. It's it's the oddest video of them. It just shows how popular they were because there there's like exercise equipment around them. <laughs> and George is like singing into a punching bag. It's like on a stand and he's not singing. He's like going, "This song is total shit. I hate it or something." Just check it out. And they, they shot two versions and one is them eating trying to perform this song and that has That's never right. been released. Evidently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, baby, what I so say? Weird. So weird. Ah, uh, and then we would see the yesterday and today butcher cover come soon after. It's like, what can't we do? Is kind of the idea. <laughs> Anything else in your deep dive, Mr. Hansen? Uh, let's see. They did two. The mixes. Larson effect got me. The Larson that's effect. Good. Yeah, yeah, and that's good. I, I forgot to look look that up. Uh, there were two mixes that they did, like three days after they uh, recorded it. There was the dry mix for for Britain. And then the more reverbed mix for Capital, which then Capital applied more reverb once they got it. So I didn't get to, I I didn't have time to to listen to like the U.S. albums, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's really interesting because they talk what about a, like this Capital. To- totally, but yeah. you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I still for guys think- that were so particular about what they were doing, America was like, we don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> we're just going to take it and do- ah, put, put Phil Spector's sound on it. We don't care. We know what the kids want. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's, oh, that's a good deep dive. Yeah. So give Bobby, you know what? As a Beatles fan, I never knew the name Bobby Parker. I didn't. And now either. I do. I know yeah. the same. I know the song "Watch Your Step." I know that Dizzy Gillespie has "Montica," which is a great song. And now George tells me all blues riff and that tempo sound the same. So George. I'm just gonna rewrite "I Feel Fine." Then <laughs> <laughs> playing it live, as we talked about a little bit, this is not uh, this is not an easy one to play live. And now I don't know what guitar to play because we, you and I, typically play casinos on it. And that's because they were, by the time the Beatles were playing casinos live, they were still playing this song. So, like, if you look at the Beatles live at Blackpool where they play this, they're both on casinos. Yeah. No feed, no Larson effect at the top of that, by the way. Right. Live. Yeah. They, they didn't utilize Larson effect. I just like <laughs> saying Larson effect because it makes me sound smart. 
Uh, today's show brought to you by Larson the Effect. Larson Effect. <laughs> uh, we do a we do that. We have the uh, pre-recorded because we don't use amps on stage, so we couldn't have leaned my J1 or your J160 or my fake Epiphone J160 on the amp to get that sound. So we we just trigger it. And then Jay comes in with the... And again, it always shocks me because I always expect a massive response from people when we play this song. And it's always kind of like, you know, it's not an I want to hold your hand or an all my loving or a twist and shout. It's more like a... I kind of know this one. It's like, what? Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. What? What's wrong, people? Why do you not love this song like you should? <laughs> Didn't we go over that it has all the elements of a perfect Beatles song? What are you not hearing? Is it the Ray Charles beat? Is that too much for the people that can't get their patty cake clap on? Like, it's, a tr- it's a tricky drum thing. It's a tricky so. drum thing. I, I remember spending time. I want to give the guy a shout out. He's on YouTube. And it was like there was a time when you could buy a Beatle book that came with a DVD. You remember that. And it was, it was a guy, I can't, Mike Mike Pacelli? I'm guessing a name. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like, yeah, you know I what I'm know talking, what about? talking about? It yeah. would be like, hi, welcome. I'm Mike. And today we're going to be learning the I Feel Fine riff. And I remember sitting there in front of my DVD player. You, you heard that it wasn't that effective earlier because <laughs> I don't play that part anymore. <laughs> but like the guitar solo, this guy taught you how to play the guitar solo. Yeah. And he shows you, because you and I have tried to get the, the John George because... It's just complicated because John doesn't always play it the same. Right. George seems to consistently play it the same until the end where he does the... And yeah, he does that cool thing at the end. Yeah. That we that nobody ever does live, including us, because I always forget to do it, but there's some cool stuff on there that George does. Yeah. It's just tough. Maybe yeah. it's the riff. I don't know. Why do you people not like it? Is it us? <laughs> Is it something we've done? <laughs> you think about that. You think about that until we get together next time. <laughs> Jay, once again, our show, Looking Through the Glass Onion, which is, God, it's so fun. <laughs> what a happy Friday. Uh, Looking Through the Glass Onion is sponsored by a Hill of Beans Coffee Roasters right here in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, they have three flavors they made just for us, Jay. Strawberry Fields, Tangerine Trees, and Marmalade Skies. It's a bit orangey. And Magical Mystery Tour, which is, I think... That's our favorite. And all three coffees are available on my website, billymcguigan.com. Hill of Beans is now sponsoring, Jay, the time when you and I rate the song. We give it our scientific glass onion rating system. We we put everything into our machine and we come up with a number between one and ten, trying not to settle on just the one number. We kind of get a bit of points, like like somebody's doing a little ice skating out there, Jay. (laughs) Please rate Baby's good to me, you know she's happy as can be, you know she said so. How do you like this one, Jay? I'm going a, an even nine. Ooh, solid nine. Now defend yeah. your choice, my friend. Well, I think, I think the, uh, the list uh, of what makes a perfect Beatles song, there, it checks a lot of boxes. That riff yep. is cool. The fact that mm. it's the first reverb used on record is is significant um yeah yeah the larson I, effect the, the, larson the, the, effect. the utilization of the larson effect you mean jay you said reverb but i think you meant the utilization yes, of the yes. larson effect yes not reverb <laughs> feedback we have no notes here we are riffing 
Jay, the only thing I don't like about this song, when I think about it, um, there's a part in Get Back, I'm on my fourth time through it. Nice. That's normal. You know, that's only 24 hours of your life. There's a part where they're doing Don't Let Me Down, and John's like, the corny of the better son. You know what I'm talking about? There's a part where they're like doing the lyrics and George is kind of like, ah, oh, the lyrics are corny. And John's like, yeah, the corny of the better song. And the lyrics in this song are a little pedestrian. If I'm picking one thing that I don't love, sure. that it doesn't, baby's good to me, you know, she's happy. It sounds like Rich talking. Baby's good to me, you know, she's the happiest can be, you know, she said so, you know. <laughs> it is very <laughs> unlike John to be so positive. About. Correct. Yeah, I'm in love with her and I feel fine. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very unjohn like. In fact, I'm so glad that she's my little girl. I'm so glad telling all the world that my baby buys her th- I'm I'm riffing. Buys me things, you know. She, no, buys her things, you know. She buys her diamond rings, you know. It's the you knows in there, you know. It's a very beetle thing, you know. She said so, you know. I'm going 7.6, Jay. Ooh, okay. Right. Uh, musically, it's a 10. Musically, it's a 10. Recording-wise, a 10. I think the lyrics... I mean, if I had to pick one thing, that's all. But they're the perfectly corny son, <laughs> as John might say. Is that what he would have said, Mal? Yeah, okay. And Mal's gone. He left. <laughs> He's already back at his time machine. I love this one, Jay. 7-6 isn't low to me. This is a great one. I We're going to play it live. I don't care what people say. Oh, yeah. We're going to keep playing it. It's an opener to me. It's great, but like we have we have sections in our sh- show for the listeners uh, listeners for the listeners out there oh, like our church. opener, like our opener. You got to come out swinging, and I don't think you could put it in there. It be, to me, this is a great opener of a show. Like for the guys that dress up like the Beatles, listen, open with this song. Yeah, yeah, totally. And just look at the Ringo and say, "Play what I say, baby." With sorry, this is a with the drum beat. A million copies in the first week in the U.S., 800,000 copies in five days in the U.K., and that doesn't include worldwide sales. This is one of the most popular songs by the Beatles, number 42 on Rolling Stone's list. But, Jay, we like this one a lot. And remember, riff, riff, riff. And if you leave this episode remembering one thing, you now know that feedback is referred to as the Larson Larson Effect. Great band name. Great band name, great <laughs> album be, name. That would be a great band name. That's funny. <laughs> Billy McGuigan and the Larson Effect. <laughs> Jay Hansen's Larson Effect opening this week. <laughs> My friends, it has been so nice catching up with you. We we see you out there in the Twitterverse and on the Instagram world. Thank you for sending the messages about how much you you enjoy listening to us. We're just making stuff up. I got to be honest with you. <laughs> We're just having the best time. This is what we do on the road anyway. Uh, so it's nice to have a little structure to it, talking about songs. And I've always I've learned something new. We now know definitively that it was the J160 that got the feedback. He may have played the Rick during the song, yeah. but there is no doubt that that sound is 100% of J160 leaning up against a Vox 100 amp with a Hofner hitting the A. Yeah. And on, it makes and sense because he would have played the J160 during... Eight days a week. Eight day- and all you got to do is go back to our last season to hear us talk about that. See? Full circle, Jay. 
So from all of our friends here, Mal Evans, our special guest, Hill of Beans, Coffee Roasters, that's Jay Hansen, I'm Billy McGuigan, Bobby Parker's song, Watch Your Step, made an appearance, Dizzy Gillespie made an appearance, and John Paul George and Ringo, we listened to that feedback live on this. We're just giving credit in case they try to shut us down. <laughs> you like that? Some of the platforms well are taking a hit. I'm looking at you, Spotify. Yeah. I'm looking at you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're still on it. Um, <laughs> we don't have the luxury of going... Take my music down, man. Thank you, Neil Young. Stay strong out there, everybody. This has been Looking Through the Glass Onion. 